Hello, I'm Dave Burse from Additive, and welcome to the first Future of Advertising podcast. Ooh, exciting, eh? Because this is the first in the series, you've not really missed anything so far. Um, you'll find things in here that won't be featuring quite as prominently in future episodes, things like uh, bad delivery, uh, poor recording standards, um, long uncomfortable pauses, and uh, general shoddy unprofessionalism. So to get around my own lack of abilities, I've filled the podcast with the voices of some much more talented people. So coming up, we've got a review of some current advertising from my 10-year-old daughter. And we've got top five tips on doing augmented reality from Andrew Elia, who's an expert in the area. But first, we're going to kick off with an interview with one of the most outspoken voices in advertising, Mr. Dave Trott. Um, when I started in the industry, which is, my goodness, nearly 20 years ago, Dave was the creative director that everyone wanted to work for, including me. Uh, there, were, there was two main reasons that I never worked for him. One was that I was in Scotland at the time, and the second was that I was kind of too crap to even consider wasting his time seeing me. But in the last year, we've ended up working together on the IPA Behavioural Economics Task Force, um, and I was chuffed to bits when I chanced my arm, asked him if he would talk to me for the podcast, and he agreed. So, a couple of weeks ago, I went off to see him at the CST offices at London Bridge, and uh, I started the interview with an insulting question about his age. I, I feel it's always good to get the, the insulting stuff over right away, and then you can go into the pleasantries afterwards. And, and, and other things, please excuse the dippity 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 mobile phone interference thing throughout the recording. Um, that's mistake number one for podcast basics, and I'll try not to repeat it in the future. Um, so anyway, here's what Dave had to say. Dave, you've been in the industry for uh, for a few years now. How long have you been in the industry? Well, it depends how you count it. Uh, I, I studied it at art school, and that was in New York in the late 60s. So, and my first job would have been BMP, 19, well, New York, apart from New York, my first job in the UK would have been 1970, so 40 years. And in that time, what changes have you seen in the industry? Because there's a lot of people say there's been changes, particularly in the last uh, 15 years with the internet. Have you seen that yourself, or have you seen lots of changes through the years? Yeah, you know, um, plus a change, plus LMM shows. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So technology changes non-stop, and people always stay the same. And it's a big shock to everybody that uh, what worked in analogue works in digital because the people haven't changed. You know, uh, we don't um, we don't evolve overnight as fast as technology does, and uh, that's a big shock to everybody. That the same paintings that worked in the 16th century still work now, and the same movies that worked in the 1920s still work now. When you say does technology change? Yeah, I, when when I first came into the business, everybody was print. And, and we switched to TV, and then you switch to online, and you switch to... And it just, all you do is, it doesn't matter what the technology is, you have to beat your competition in that media. That hasn't changed, and, and, and it won't change. You still, whether it's social media or, or, or online, posters, press, radio, whatever, there is still way more messages than you can possibly see and on average, only 10% of them are even going to get on your radar. You've got to make sure you're in that 10%, whatever media you're in. 
So you do a lot of stuff on social media. So you've got your own blog and uh, you're on Twitter and presumably you've got Facebook and LinkedIn and things like that as well. Do you see this being something that is as revolutionary in the industry? Do you know, I didn't know I was on social media until you just told me. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd got a blog and I'm on Twitter and yeah, that's like, I didn't know that was, that's what people mean when they say social media. It's just more ads to me, just another place to do ads. And uh, uh, ads are just conversations and it's just another way of having a conversation and different media you have different conversations but a conversation is always since the, since the minute you're born to the day you die a conversation is impact, communication, persuasion if you haven't got those three elements wherever you are whether you're putting it on a cave wall or whether you're skywriting if you haven't got those three elements it's not a conversation and nothing happens you're talking to yourself so people act as if you have uh, social media separate to traditional media. It's all just media. You don't have to switch one off to switch the other on. In fact, if you switch one off to switch the other on, it'll be way less effective. For me, what you're looking for is always one plus one equals three. So, originally I wanted to get people to the agency blog. So we thought, well, to the agency website, sorry. Uh, so we thought, well, how do we get people to the agency website? Let's have a reason for them to visit regularly. So I'll, I'll start to write a blog. So I start to write a blog, and the better the blog, the more people are likely to visit. So I'll put some effort into it. And uh, how do I get more people to visit it? Well, Twitter's free, the blog's free, Twitter's also free. Let's go on Twitter and use that. So how do I get more people to follow me on Twitter? Well, you write funny stuff or interesting stuff. And when, when, when I write that, every so often, I'll put a link to the blog on there. So now I've got well, two and a half thousand followers on Twitter and that, I'll, I'll link that to the blog so they'll get onto the blog and if they pick it up they'll spread it to people that, 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 that they like. But it's the same rules as anything you do which is you have to be entertaining, you have to be informative, there has to be a reason for people to, to interact, to even notice it in the first place but then to interact and then to pass it on. And that's the same with the TV ad, press, poster, radio, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, um, actually, I don't know so much about Facebook, but blogs. Uh, anything you want something out of, the reasons are... Even a conversation with a person in the street. The re it's always that same. That's how humans interact. This is just another media for humans to interact in. So there's a lot of the digital people who were sort of digital specialists uh, in the last few years. There was a, a phrase that they kept coming up with as they kept saying that it was the death of interruptive advertising. So traditional advertising being what they consider to be interruptive rather than participatory. What, what would your response be to these kind of people? I don't know. Everybody's been predicting the death of everything forever, haven't they? That's what new people do. You'd expect them to do that. If I was in their shoes, I'd do the same thing. You know, the... Um, I don't, I don't think that's how it works. I think, I think new things gradually come in and gradually people adapt to them and gradually you, people use them how they're going to use them. In the um, technology acceptance curve, the people that are predicting the death of something are usually the evangelists or the early adopters, which is, mm, you know, usually less than 10%, 5%. When you move into the early majority, you're talking about up to 50%, uh, those are people, but by now, they've adopted it into their lifestyle and adapted it into their lifestyle. So 
you now don't tell them how they're going to use it they'll use it to fit with their lifestyle which is like me with blogs or me with Twitter you know, people gave me all these rules about Twitter you have to be following as many people as are following you uh, well I don't know that's true I believe I'll use it how I want to use it and, and I think there's way more power in that when Marconi invented the radio he thought it was going to be used to bring church broadcasts into people's homes who couldn't get to church because when he invented the radio radio stations didn't exist disc jockeys didn't exist news broadcasts didn't exist all that stuff came after the invention and that's how it is with the new technology now we don't yet know what we're going to use it for we'll find out and we'll adapt it and we'll use it thanks a lot and we don't really need the evangelists to tell us what to, to tell us what the rules are because we'll just roll, roll, roll right over those the best thing I heard recently about Twitter was um, a writer um, from an American agency said he, he wished that his agency would make it compulsory to do briefings on Twitter <laughs> if you had to write the brief on Twitter yeah. how great would that be yeah. you know then you wouldn't be able to write four pages with every little thing you've ever thought about in it then you'd have to strip it down to the real world which is a kind of short powerful thought that's going to get impact and communication and in order to get it onto Twitter you'd have to do that you couldn't fit everything into it so you'd have to do a lot more thinking mm. than the lazy thinking of just a mind dump on several sheets of A4 when you were talking about how consumers they've got the exact same needs uh, now as they did um, 100, 200, 500,000 years ago uh, the details might change, but the principles are the same. Do you know the uh, uh, hundred? You know, in the 16th century, you didn't need a washing powder to got your shirt shot slightly whiter, but you still had the same basic motivation of wanting to be proud of the way you looked after your family. So there, are, there are things about human beings that are unchangeable. What Bill Burnback used to call unchangeable truths, and you know about about mums and dads and children and things that, that you know are, are sexual attractions things that won't, that won't change now the details of how you do that will change you know it'll be long hair this year and next year it'll be short hair fashion will change but the guts the general, the general principles won't change that's what I mean so do you think that people these days their expectations of how brands behave has evolved um since before the, the internet when they're, they're, they say that people are expecting uh, brands to be able to talk to them or, or brands are able to interact with them uh, rather than just talking at them have, have you seen any of that yourself? I think that's all advertising speak I don't think people have any expectations of brands at all I think somewhere in the back of your mind you might notice that you might think if in a parity situation you've got the same money for two hatchbacks and you think, mm, actually, I'd rather, I'd rather drive a Volkswagen than a Ford. I think that's about the level of where brands are in most people's lives. It's a, it's a new, it's a, it's a current lemming-like rush into the latest trend that people in advertising do from time to time. They're the evangelists, they all think they've found the new... Because everybody's so desperate to stop thinking and find a formula. No one wants to reinvent the wheel every time they come up with a new problem. So they want a formula, and the new formula is brand. The answer's brand, now what's the question? Well, tell me, where does brand come into it with the COI, one of the largest spenders we've got? Everything they do is about changing behaviour. So where does brand about fire prevention, or brand about 
Health Education Council or brand about not drink driving. You know, I think brand is just a, a, a superstition, a, a religious thing to clutch onto to stop people having to think. And for sure, brand is an entity, but you don't create a brand by doing advertising for brands. Why you prefer a Volkswagen to Ford is because for 50 years Volkswagen have been making better cars than Ford. And for 50 years, Bill Burnback's been doing advertising that tells you that. Now, if Volkswagens were no better than Ford, if, if you'd been doing that Volkswagen advertising for Vauxhall, it wouldn't have made any difference. The, the, the sudden discovery of brand is the, the, it's, it's holding on to a magic amulet, like wearing a cross and hoping it keeps you safe. I don't think there's really any involvement with consumers there. There's just uh, a current PC-ness around saying everything is brand. And it's a lack of thought, and that's what I detest about planners calling themselves brand planners instead of planners. That tells me before you approach the problem, you've got the answer, which is brand. And uh, I liked it when planners had a bigger remit than that, a bigger intellect than that. Now, I've heard you talking before about uh, about the introduction of planners and how maybe that's changed the role for creatives when creatives had far more sort of strategic input. Sort of, um, I, I remember even in the in the early nineties, where it felt as if creatives were far more involved mm-hmm. in the in, in the strategy yeah. earlier on. Um, do you see that, that? Do you think that's been harmful to the industry? What What do you see the roles of creatives being these days? See, I I, I, I mean. It's difficult because we talk about creatives in the creative department and that's a misnomer really. It should be the art direction and copy copy department because they're no more creative than anybody else. Art direction and copywriting is a process. Account handling is a process. If you you know anything about De Bono, you know that that where real creativity comes from, it's uh, asking, asking silly questions that force you to think in new areas. Now, when you overlap different disciplines and you used to overlap account handling with creativity, the overlap would be where the, uh, sorry, with the creative department, you'd overlap account handling with the cre- what we call the creative department. The actual creativity, the strategic creativity, would happen in that overlap because each would ask questions that the other hadn't thought about. When you took that overlap and made it a strategic, when the strategy became the remit of a planning department, you put everybody into silos and there's now no more overlap. So account handlers are in their process silo, planners are in theirs, and uh, creatives, so you know what we call creatives are in theirs. And they're all back to just doing process. So if there's a harm for it, it's in the fact that having the thing of planning has removed the overlap. That's why I, I had hoped that uh, having um, what Rory was doing at the IPA with um, behavioural economics, the interesting bit of which I thought was choice architecture, would be a kind of upstream creativity where we could all overlap and all get involved and all get much more creative strategy. As as you know, De Bono says um, there are a lot of people calling themselves creative who are just stylists. Now I think that's a lot of the creative department at the moment. They're actually, because they don't get involved in any real strategic creativity anymore, their remit is just styling. And the real creativity doesn't happen in planning now because there's no overlap with them. They're just doing planning as a process. So the creative part of, of different disciplines overlapping and asking silly questions about each other's disciplines 
what De Bono would call lateral thinking, uh, doesn't happen anymore because it just everyone operates in silos. So do you think that that's affected the standard of work that's coming out of agencies? Do you think it's the, the, the work has dropped the standard over the last few years? I think the standard of thinking has dropped. I think the standard of execution is higher than it's ever been. But that's style again. That's not creativity. So uh, stylistically, we're higher than we've ever been. We spend more money on the ads and the ads look better. But the, the upstream creativity, the, the, uh, the strategic creativity, outside of one or two bits from Droga 5, I don't know, what have you seen? Do you see um, a movement that the industry is going to have to evolve over the next few years? It's hard for me to talk about the industry because I don't give a damn about the industry. The industry is my competition. I, I, I don't, I'm not a spokesman for the industry. 90% of it is a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the, the industry per se is not a... Is, there's not a thing I care about. It's, it's people who want to do as little as possible for as much money as possible and pick up awards for work that's not very good and, and you know, it, it, but the, industry's never, the industry has never been any good. The industry has always been 90% of people are a waste of time. That's, that's how it was, even at what people talk about the great days, that was 10% that was great. And nowadays there's a top 10%. That's very good. I think that if you want to talk about how the top 10% could be better, and don't forget, Abbott Mead, biggest agency in Europe, they've got 4% of uh, the UK uh, market. So we don't need to be talking, uh, you know, Sarchi's had 2%. We don't need to be talking about massive amounts here. The, if advertising is nothing if it's not competitive, and if you're really competitive, you should be worrying how you beat other advertising, not being a spokesman for all other advertising. The, you know, the gen, when you're, if you're a general in an army, in the British Army, you're not a spokesman for all armies everywhere. You're a spokesman for the British Army. And your job is to beat all the other armies. And that's how everybody in advertising ought to be thinking. Your job, with, for your client, is, and for your agency, is, is to beat all other advertising. There's, they reckon, we see the last num couple of years back. Last time I looked at the numbers, the average person has a thousand advertising messages a day put in front of them. Radio, TV, online, social media—it's maybe more now. But a thousand advertising messages a day. Name me one from yesterday that you remember. Oh, you've got me there. Put me in the spot. I, I can't actually think of any. There you are. If I had, the other day I did a talk, I had 50 people in a room and I asked of them, and three of them put their hands up and remembered something from yesterday as if it was a triumph. But the 50 people each with a thousand messages, that's three out of 50,000. That kind of gives you the scale of what we should be up against. I'm not talking for that 50,000. I'm worried about how I managed to bury that 50,000 so that the one you remember is mine. The worse that 50,000 is, the better for me. The worse the advertising industry is, the better for me. It's, it, it's like Brian Clough wasn't the spokesman for football. His job, Bill Shankly, their job was to... Muhammad Ali, they were not spokesmen for what they did. Their job was to beat everybody else doing what they did. That's why I find the, the silly, decadent hardening of the arteries part about our business when someone puts themselves up as spokesman for advertising. Why would you possibly be a spokesman for... You cannot possibly remember all the advertising messages put in front of you, so why would I be a spokesman for that? 
Long story short, no, I don't care what the rest of the advertisers do. I hope they do even worse. <laughs> so with, uh, with, with CST, do you think that uh, you're going to have to evolve over the next few years? Is that something that, that you sort of look at as a business, that you, you're always looking for certain new opportunities for maybe the new roles that need to be taken on? For example, people have been talking about a creative technologist role, which is one of the latest trendy, uh, latest trendy topic that uh, is in the industry. Is, is that something that you look at? Yeah, I think, I mean, definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm probably won't be doing it myself, but definitely uh, everybody here needs to be looking at that. Definitely, how do we move it on? The, the thing about technology, and you say creative technologist, see, it's interesting, the people who, the people who find the technology, uh, and we've got it the same at the moment, the people who are best at the technology aren't actually very creative. The, what always happens when you introduce a new technology is the people that people that introduce it are the people that know about the technology so they're not necessarily very creative so what needs to happen is we need to get creative people involved in that stuff the way they are in every other media to use that stuff because all of your just knowing about the technology isn't enough because your competitors have got that technology you, you think that technology won't do the job for you you think it will but it won't what you have to do is use that technology to beat everyone else who's got that technology so it's still, it's still a creative issue. So there, there's some people that say that uh, tech, technologists should be involved earlier on in the thinking process and actually uh, be part of the, the creative thinking team. Is that something that you would see being an interesting uh, development? Hell yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, I, I, I don't necessarily think you can make rules, but and I think it's going to vary by the people involved. Some people are really good and creative and some people aren't. And I think that if you can find... People that are open, technology, technology, technologists that are open, and bring them in early. If you can find clients, if you can find psychoanalysts, anyone who's open and creative, and bring them in early, everything has to be better, of course, like that. But if you, but, but what you mainly don't want, and it doesn't matter where they come from, is people who have got closed minds and are going to shut down the options. So people who are going to come in and say the answer's new technology. Now, what's the question? That's the same with. Planners who say the answer's brain now, what's the question? People who come at it with a closed mind are absolutely are harmful. They're not very used at all. So, the, I mean, Bernbach uh, sort of creating the whole idea of the, the creative team and that being something that's obviously been absolutely central to our in industry for the last sort of 50 years. Do you think that the creative team still is as important now or do you think we have to be looking potentially at new ways of trying to mix that up? Yeah, well, I think the problem is the, the creative teams are... The problem is we are not using that. We are not developing the creative team. So now, if you go for a job, you have to go as a writer and an art director. You, that's your team. That's cast in stone, and nobody ever challenges it. How about maybe you don't go as a writer and art director? Maybe you go as one person on your own, or maybe you go as four guys who are all very creative. Some of the most creative people I've ever worked with have been media guys, planners, or account men. Seriously creative guys, and I'd follow them anywhere and work with those guys anywhere. Who says I have to be a, a writer, art director team? I think it's, a, it's the, really the confusion, I don't know what you do about it, until you stop calling the creative department the creative department. Creative is an adjective, not a noun. Creative is how well, you know, Clough was creative, Shankly was creative, Rupert Murdoch is creative, Muhammad Ali was creative, and yet you can find the same people in their disciplines who were blindingly uncreative. I think that's, that's what, if you learn anything from De Bono, that's what you learn. Cre creative is a quality that 
allows you to beat far, far bigger opponents. And that's, that's the exciting part, the creative part. The, I have to say, I think you're more likely to find that in people that come from art school than people that come from university. But because I think art school encourages you to break the rules, whereas university encourages you to follow the rules. And art school tends to be more full of rebels and rejects, by and large. People that can't or won't make it at university. Whereas people who are successful within the academic system, by following the rules, go on to university. So, I think... Um, but, even there, that might not be true. Do you know that... Uh, you saw um, the History Boys? Did you see that play, the History Boys? It's a really interesting part in there. About uh, a guy is, is teaching... Um, a dozen kids at their A-levels uh, and they're all studying history and he wants to get them to Oxford or Cambridge to Oxbridge to, to, to get on a history degree course and so he gives them the Oxbridge paper and 12 of them fill it in and they answer it and he says right, these are all totally rubbish and they said why, what did we do that was wrong and he says no, they were absolutely right every, every question you answered was right and they said, so how are they rubbish? He said, because you're up against 200 people who are also going to be answering absolutely every question right. And unless you've done something exciting and different and interesting, you've got a 1 out of 200 chance. If you do something different, you've immediately got 50% of people on, on doing one thing, and you're in the other side of the brain, you've got 50% of the brain to yourself by doing something different. You've got a way better chance. So in the History Boys, he tells them, if you want to get into Oxbridge, what's much more important than being right is being different. And so that's why I say I think, I think a good art school, hopefully, would encourage that more than the uni, but maybe I'm wrong there. I never went to uni, so I don't know. Now, you've been a, a creative director since, uh, I don't know, what was it, the late 70s? 1980. So you, you get 30 years of, of creative direction. Um, if people come to you with digital ideas, do you judge digital ideas in, in the same way? Is, is the way that you judge work different? How, how do you go about when, when you've got something that's using sure. new media? Sure. Okay, so here's the thing about most people's creativity. When people bring me digital ideas, they have it printed off onto a bit of paper, stuck in an acetate sheet, and stuck in a zip-up folder. So tell me how creative that is a digital idea that will only work like a print ad. And it's really boring to read a digital idea like a print ad because it isn't done like a print ad. A print ad works like a print ad. Show me the thing in a way that it's going to knock my socks off. Don't, 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 you know. If it's going to work, put it in the environment that it's going to work. Bring me a laptop. Email it to me. I, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that's what I would do. I know I wouldn't bring my television reel along as a series of stills on a piece of paper stuck in, a, stuck in an acetate sheet. I was, I was discussing this very thing this morning in a meeting that uh, we're, we're looking at, at designs for a website. Yeah. And the, the web designs, of course, we're, we're looking at printouts. And it, just trying to explain to people in the room, look, you cannot judge this stuff as, as printouts because it's, it's all to do with interaction. It's how this lives because we're talking about something that's not static, it's dynamic. And, and because of that, print is just no way of presenting digital work at all. Absolutely. If you, if you, if you put a TV ad uh, in, a, in, a, in a portfolio as a, as a, a storyboard, you've lost two of your three dimensions. You, you've, you've got vision, but you've lost sound and you've lost movement. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if you put a, if you put any interactive in there, you've lost your fourth dimension, which is interactive. So why, why, and given that your portfolio is supposed to be demonstrating you to the absolute best you'll ever be, why would you do that? that just, it just demonstrates that you're not creative. So when you're presenting work that's got digital elements uh, yourself to clients, how, how do you present it to the clients? We, we, we put it on, a, on, on uh, the laptop and we click through and show the client what it does. And usually that's what we'll do for a pitch. It depends at what stage, if it's a tissue stage, we're getting the client involved in, then we might not do that. But at a tissue stage, you'd usually be involved in a big idea anyway. Yeah. So you wouldn't, be go- you wouldn't be narrowing down to what particular channels it works through. But at a pitch, you would. So obviously the impressive thing in a pitch is to click through. Do you think that, that there, there's a different approach that, that, that's needed creatively within, uh, within the industry or within agencies that, uh, that, that involves that kind of thinking? No, I think good stuff works and bad stuff doesn't. And I think you need to reinvent the wheel every time. I don't think there's a formula. Uh, and that's why good stuff beats bad stuff, because bad stuff is done to a formula. Someone called, told me the other day, it's karaoke creativity, <laughs> which is, it's only really creative if you copy something else that was previously really creative. So, I mean, that's how 90% is karaoke creativity. Let's copy what was done before. Let's look for an easy formula so we don't have to think. And then we can stand in front of it and the words will come up and we'll sing them in our voice. So we must be nearly as good as Frank Sinatra. (laughs) So, last question. Um, (laughs) um, In 2020, do you see the industry and the the expectations of clients, the expectations of consumers, uh, what... Agencies have to do. Do you see it being quite radically different from now, or, or how do you how do you see uh, the, the job of agencies in, in ten years down the line? Um, do you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'll respond to what's around at the time. All I've got to do is beat what's around. I don't have to be ten years ahead. We used to do that years and years back when I was at BMP. They would never set, accept a campaign unless it was a five-year campaign. So we'd have to write the equivalent of five years' worth of ads. And what we would do would be much weaker because we'd have to, rather than responding to what was immediately around now, we'd have to write to something that we could assume would still work in five years' time. So it would be already weakened down, and then we'd write the ads and they'd be quite weak, and then we'd make the first of those five-year ads, the first three of those five-year ads, and then we'd run them, and because they were weak, they wouldn't work, so we'd bomb it and chuck the whole thing. So whereas, if you write for what's happening now and you adapt and evolve as changes happen, you'll be much more powerfully reacting to what's around. The thought that you can get out in front of it and predict it ten years ahead what's happening or five years ahead what's happening, that's, I mean, that that just doesn't happen. that's, That's just a kind of a new media guru argument for and why wouldn't they do that I'd do the same thing to pretend they know more than everybody else knows there's that kind of PC correctness about having to pretend you're future focused when all that actually does is stop you being now focused and most client problems are right now and so instead of concentrating on what might happen in the future uh, 
the good people are concentrating. You, you know, have some awareness on, in what might happen in the future, but what's really important is what's happening right now. You solve this problem right now. And as the situation changes, you change to solve that problem, rather than solve a problem that we think might going to be happening three problems from now. Dave Trott, thank you very much indeed for your time. Okay, Dave, thanks. Sure, it's enough? That's all you wanted? Are you sure that's enough? asks Dave. Oh, yes, thank you very much, says I. So I switch off the microphone and I pack away the recorder. And then Dave and I continue to chat for another hour and he said some brilliantly insightful stuff and shared some absolute genius bits of wisdom. And I captured none of it. Bugger. So you're the ones who've uh, missed out there, I'm afraid. Uh, and that's podcast basics lesson number two. Don't switch off the f- recorder until you've actually finished your talking. Um, I've got some more big names in the industry lined up for some interviews in the next few weeks. Uh, I'd love some help from you, my lovely, lovely, lovely listener. Um, Yes, listener is singular. I'm not imagining a big audience for this stuff. So I'd love your suggestions on what questions you'd like answered and who else you think I should interview. So drop me a line at podcast at getadditive.com and tell me what you think. So on to our next feature. Uh, I wanted to do a review of some of the latest advertising work, but I wanted it to be candid, unbiased and honest, and that's something you'll never get from anyone working in advertising. So I asked someone with the ability to be brutally honest, uh, someone who isn't caught up in the politics and pretensions of the advertising industry, my 10-year-old daughter. So this is her very own section, which is called Advertising Schmadvertising. Take it away. Advertising Schmadvertising Advertising Schmadvertising You got into this game to have a little bit of fun And end up doing as you never wanted to run Advertising talking about it's the old spice the man your man could smell like so let's watch this one look at your man now back to me i'm on a horse so what did you think of that commercial it was weird it really didn't do it for you not really was the man good looking i don't know yeah do you think it would convince people to buy old spice not really do you think it's the kind of advert that stands out from other adverts on the television? Kind of. And why do you think that would be? Because it's just like, it's a bit different. So, thumbs up, thumbs down, or just thumbs somewhere in the middle? Nah. Nah. <laughs> oh dear, Wyden and Kennedy, you need to try harder. Second thing we've got to look at here is trollspotters.com, which has been done by Glue. And this is something which is supposed to be advertising Sweden, or particularly uh, the south of Sweden. And the way of doing it is to have a site where you can look at webcams and you have to try and spot trolls. So what do we see in this one here? 
just the sea and some grass and sand. That's what we got now. It's just grass and loads of flowers and little huts. Oh, troll alert there. Do you want to click on that? Number four? Just loads of bushes and I can't find a troll. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, it's alright. Okay, it's just loads of sea and rocks, a forest and loads of trees. Do you think it would make you want to visit Sweden? Yeah, some of the places maybe, yeah. So you think you'll um, you'll maybe treat me to a weekend in, in Sweden sometime? No. No? Not you anyway. Oh, I see. I'll get someone else to take him. Yeah. Oh, no. So what do you think of this site? It's alright. Is that a site you'd maybe come back to and see if you could spot a troll? Maybe, yeah. Is that a site you would, would you tell any of your friends about this site? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Just to have a bit of a laugh. Would you give this a th oh, troll alert there? Troll alert. Oh, we missed it. One. We missed it. Would you give this a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumbs somewhere in the middle? A thumbs somewhere in the middle. And our final one here is a TV ad for the Sony Ericsson Xperia X10, I believe it is. Let's have a look at this film here. So, what did you think of that? Um, it's a bit... Just like people breakdancing and then other people using their fingers to do it. Did you think it's something that maybe you would tell other people about? Not really. Is it something that you quite enjoy seeing on the television? Not really. Did it feel as if it was new and it was fresh? Not really. Thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs somewhere in the middle mm. for that one? Thumbs oh, down. great big thumbs down for the Sony Xperia. <laughs> so that's us done. Can I spot a troll again? So, is there anything you'd like my little lady to review? Again, just drop me a line. I will repeat the email address again. It's podcast at getadditive.com. I need your feedback here, people. Or, or should I say, I need your feedback here, person. Sorry, I was getting carried away and imagined I'd actually some kind of audience. Uh, please tell me your thoughts so I don't feel like one of those strange beardy street men who shouts at lampposts. Please, it's lonely here. I was wanting these podcasts to be useful to the industry, so I'm wanting to get the top five tips from experts in different areas of the industry. My first expert is Andrew Elia, and he's the CTO for crossplatform.tv, uh, and they do cutting-edge stuff for lots of platforms, including mobile and uh, IPTV, and they're one of the leaders in augmented reality in the UK. So I thought he'd be a great guy to share his advice on how to use the technology properly. So here's Andrew's big five. The first point we normally speak to people about is to make sure that they understand their objectives and we understand the brief. What are they trying to achieve? What are their business objectives? Is it a case of driving footfall to a store? Is it more hits on a website? Is it more subscriptions to a magazine, competition entries, that sort of thing? So, what are the goals that they're looking to achieve on this? 
The next point is to make sure that whenever you're trying to uh, pitch a solution like this to a client is help them understand how the technology can fit into what they're trying to do rather than trying to sell them widgets. All too often technology providers will approach a client and say here's uh, a neat little tool you have to work out how to, to do it yourself. What we try to do is to understand somebody's business and try and help them build that bridge and how to get the technology to suit their, their business needs. After that, it's, it's a question of understanding the time involved to get the creative uh, part right. Very often the, the technical side comes secondary in these sort of environments because the creative is usually the most contentious part of it, shall we say. We often find that the creative has to start from quite an early level because the assets clients have are often not quite right for the target platform so that's certainly a point to bear in mind there. The next thing uh, to talk about is what sort of platform is going to be deployed on. Now augmented reality can come in a number of different shapes and sizes. You can run it on a kiosk in store, you can run it on mobile phone and you can run it on a desktop or laptop computer at home. Now the precise platform medium will depend on what it is you're trying to achieve so clearly if you're trying to drive footfall to a store then a kiosk is going to be your best way of doing it. If you're talking about a, a magazine that you can look at at home then obviously that's a desktop or laptop or if it's something that you're on the move or you're, if you're sitting at the breakfast table and you're doing something on a packet of breakfast cereal then obviously a mobile phone is the way to do it. So it's all about trying to wire that mechanic in to make sure that you're giving the best user experience. And finally, it's setting the KPIs. How are you going to measure it? What is it you're going to achieve? And how do you know whether it's been successful? Or uh, in some cases, being able to measure on a more granular level what sort of aspects of the system people have engaged with because that can be very important for defining client uh, or customer requirements in, in the future. So that's just about it for the very first Future of Advertising podcast. Or maybe I should call it an oddcast, which is how I Freudianly mistyped it in my notes. Um, I hope you've managed to see past the amateur cock-ups and get something out of it. I'm planning to make the podcasts a regularly irregular event, which means that I'm not willing to take on the pressure of releasing each one on a specific date. I'm kind of aiming at doing them monthly-ish. So thanks for listening. Send my love to your mother. Uh, drop me a line with your suggestions and what you'd like out of this audio goulash. Um, if you tell me who you think should be interviewing, um, have suggestions for questions. Um, if you just want to insult me, berate me and disagree with everything I've said. Um, I want you to be involved in this in some way. And that's it. So finish off your drinks and move outside, please. Uh, the podcast is over. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.